electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Ford today. Apple's worldwide developer conference kicks off. The stock has grinded steadily lower. Can Apple change the narrative? Then a race between the ape and the tortoise. How the meme trade is distorting the broader market. And later, an out-of-this-world headline. Jeff Bezos says he's headed to space, D. Also this hour, bullish calls on Etsy and Peloton. And we checked in on crypto after a wild weekend at the Bitcoin conference in Miami, we will get a download of everything that happened there as Bitcoin John just pushing above 36,000. Yeah, D, and Apple's software spotlight is on this afternoon. CEO Tim Cook is going to take the stage at the Worldwide Developers Conference, well, virtually, in just about two hours, reportedly planning to highlight new advances in privacy, messaging, other apps across devices, maybe some new MacBook Pros as well. And all of this part of the push to keep users inside the Apple ecosystem. A company is making the pitch that its vertical integration, its crafted experiences, make better experiences and give developers the opportunity to reap big rewards. But critics argue no one company should have this much power. This argument on full display at the recent Epic Games trial, a verdict on Apple's 30% App Store fee and other allegedly monopolistic practices due in the coming weeks or months. That is the big debate for Apple and much of the fang trade is big, really so bad. And um, Deirdre, I, I think this is Apple's big moment to make the argument that its iOS ecosystem, its Mac ecosystem has provided this fertile ground for developers to reach more people in more ways and charge them for the value that they create in ways that they couldn't before. That's really just an extension of what they were saying in this trial, but WWDC is where they get to connect that argument, at least, to the real world. Yeah, I I mean, can WWDC be a bit of a distraction? We know that, you know, Apple came out of this epic trial, you know, with its legal arguments intact, perhaps having the upper hand, but reputationally, Carl, it did take some hits. And you've heard more and more developers come out and say that, you know, perhaps Apple is rent seeking. So can it get developers excited about a new MacBook Pro, the idea of creating and you know, partaking in this ecosystem that Apple has created and perhaps not such a walled garden. But The Verge this morning call raises this idea that perhaps Apple is becoming a carrier like a Verizon or an AT&T and that it has to worry about ARPU now, which is a pretty novel concept for a company like Apple that has created the iPhone, uh, you know, 10 years plus years on. 
Uh, yeah, it's, it's a great point. It's a, the, Goldman's got a good uh, curtain raiser on the whole event, John, and they say we aren't expecting Apple to change much, but given the epic case and the ongoing uh, regulatory interest, we will be parsing company commentary uh, to developers carefully. Guys, we do want to break in briefly here for this breaking news on the FDA and Biogen. Meg Terrell's got that. Meg? Carl, this is huge news. The FDA has approved Biogen's Alzheimer's drug, aducanumab, under what's known as an accelerated approval pathway. Uh, now, this is a creative way of approaching this. It approves the drug, gets it out there on the market. It is based on essentially saying that the drug clears these buildups of amyloid plaques in the brain, and that is thought to confer a benefit on Alzheimer's disease. That will be controversial, uh, but it also will require Biogen to run studies confirming the benefit benefit, the clinical benefit of this drug um, as it gets on the market. But this is an approval for Biogen. This is a huge stock event, both for Biogen itself. That stock is halted right now, but the expectation from analysts is it could go up by $100 to $400 a share on approval. If it had been rejected, they predicted it could go down by 100 bucks to $200 a share. So this is big. Could also affect other stocks in the biopharma space, most particularly Eli Lilly, which also has an Alzheimer's drug that has shown a benefit on that biomarker of clearing plaques from the brain, guys. So there are huge implications here. First new Alzheimer's drug approved in the United States in 18 years since 2003. The first ever approved thought to have a benefit in potentially slowing the cognitive declines associated with Alzheimer's disease. Expected market for this drug, 2 million patients with early Alzheimer's disease in the United States. Guys, this is huge news. I'm still parsing through the uh, release here from uh, the FDA. I'll send it back to you, but big day for Biogen, big day for the drug industry. Big day for the uh, Alzheimer's community, guys. Back to I you. was going to say, Meg, it's not often we get to use the word historic when it comes to some of these clearances, but that is very big, and we'll wait to see what the stock does when it reopens for trade. Let you get back to your reading as well on that uh, announcement, Meg Terrell. Uh, as for Apple's WWDC, let's bring in a uh, tech columnist for The Wall Street Journal and CNBC contributor Joanna Stern, uh, whose latest piece for The Journal makes the case that Apple will, in fact, build higher walls in their su supposed Garden of Eden in an attempt to pull users deeper into the ecosystem. Joanna, I was just mentioning uh, this line from Goldman that they are going to be parsing the conversation to developers carefully. How do you think that that rhetoric changes coming out of Epic? I think it's a tough day. It's a tough it's a tough challenge for Apple today because the last month has really been them making the case the last couple weeks around the Epic trial has been making the case, hey, you guys owe us for this big platform. We we own this platform. You guys should be thankful to us. Uh, and you sort of have developers being like, uh, but we make these apps and we deserve our size or share of the business. And with today, you've got Apple out there saying, hey, this is a conference for developers. What are they going to do? What are they going to do to convince developers uh, to be sort of again on the side of Apple? And, some, and so what are some of those carrots? Can we divide them into various silos? For example, the, today's Goldman note talks about uh, maybe additions to home, uh, maybe some advances on health. Uh, what would you be looking for on that front? I think every WWDC is about the expansion of the walled garden. Uh, you can, we can debate if we should call it a walled garden, but in the ecosystem, it is about the expansion, giving developers more opportunities to build things deeper into the operating system and to build into the other operating systems, right? You've had watchOS and iPadOS, ways to make 
their apps and their uh, their services grow across Apple devices. And so we'll hear about that today. No doubt we'll hear about that today. We will hear about all the new operating systems. We'll hear about updates to them. I have heard from a couple of sources that we'll see uh, big updates to messages, uh, Safari and more privacy control. I think that also sort of gives the developer community the sense of, hey, we're building for this uh, secure platform. This is the one we should have focused on versus focusing on Android or Windows. Um, also around that, I've heard again about health. Yes, health being one. Um, not sure yet what that developer play will be there, but certainly the idea that Apple wants to get more into the space of uh, mindful health, uh, <laughs> mindfulness, and um, also bring back into the wa Apple Watch and, and those signals. Joanna, I got to apologize in advance because you know me, I love to disagree. And I disagree with you on this one. This is easy yes. for Apple. This is easy. I mean, this is what they do at WWDC. Like last week, they put out this press release on how many like billions of dollars their hundreds of billions of dollars, their ecosystem ha has helped create for other businesses. And they had all these developers signing on saying, we owe our lives to Apple. Th that's what they're going to do today, too. And they're going to say, you know what? You really want to give us even more of your life because we're going to help you make even more money. And they have dollars and cents results to back that up. Now, does that mean that some developers don't have a legitimate case that Apple's being unfair? Of course not. But this, I mean, this is what Apple does at WWDC, and I think this time with the M1 chip out, they have a unique case to make that they really do deliver performance benefits that others find it difficult to match. I think we actually do agree, totally agree on the benefits of being in the Apple ecosystem. Developers love it because of that, right? They, they know they're developing for, first of all, an audience that has money. They can buy these devices. They're gonna buy more of these devices, and it's great for at WWDC to prove that point. On the other hand, I think a lot of them are just seeing two numbers, 15%, 30%. Okay, so let me, Joanna, then push back <laughs> to that whole idea. I mean, this group of developers, even if Apple does provide this safer, you know, more productive ecosystem, they are getting louder. So do you think that we get a different tone from Cook and Apple? Do you think that he's going to try to make up for perhaps some of that reputational damage they suffered during the Epic trial? Well, I think it's exactly what John just said. This is what Apple does the best at these conferences, right? Creating the excitement, the fireworks around the devices and the software and how all of them, the, the, we're going to hear Cook say it. I mean, you can all take a shot. He will say, he will say hardware, software, and services. He will repeat that I mean, we could do, should we bet how many times he says that today? He will say it many times, right? And developers love that. The audience, the users love that. It's what makes the garden so great, right? As I, I showed in my video this week and talked about in the column, it's beautiful inside the garden. And so there, there are these walls and maybe the company does have a little bit too much control, but we as users kind of love that. Finally, Joanna, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time today talking about the services side, but people are still trying to parse out what supply chains look like on the hardware side, uh, what, you know, adjusting their unit forecasts for the year. We pay a lot of attention to the chip shortage. Um, I guess to what degree are you monitoring that in, in that it, it might be one day soon um, a consequential data point for consumers at the retail level or not being able to get the phone or the unit that they want? Yeah, I think there's big questions about that, especially for the fall. Um, I am not convinced that we're definitely going to see a, a MacBook Pro today. I know a lot of the, the industry and tech journalists are, are buzzing around that. I'm not convinced we will see that today. Not sure that has to do with chip shortages. 
I just think that that would take a sizable amount of the presentation, and that is not necessarily where Apple wants to focus. I think it could be one of those carrots you mentioned, sort of dangling, like, oh, yeah, we care about pros, we care about developers, and we're going to give you brand new hardware, look at this great new hardware, but I'm, I'm just not convinced. But I think on the chip side, uh, we're certainly going to see Apple expand into faster M chips, uh, these rumored M1X or uh, M12 or whatever you want to call it, that will be faster than what's out there now. But I, I think we'll, that part is, is not going to be part of the story today. I think the fall is where we're going to see, again, more, obviously, more hardware, but more discussion about the chips. All right. Wow. It's going to be fascinating. And we understand it going into it a lot better thanks to this chat. Good to see you. Thanks, as always. Joanna Stern. Good to see you guys. We're all going to be taking shots. <laughs> and Joanna, Joanna used the term walled garden. I know she even did her piece for The Wall Street Journal in a walled garden. Fort, I got to come back to you on this. Um, is it fair to call Apple walled garden? Has that become an overused metaphor? I mean, that idea that The Verge brought up that it's actually turning into a carrier, that's pretty strong. What did you make of that? Totally fair. Uh, it's a walled garden. But, I mean, Apple would argue there's a big open gate uh, in that garden, and you can leave if you want to and go into Android land, but why would anyone ever want to leave? Think of it more like, you know, the Disney World or Disneyland style walled uh, garden where you got to pay a lot to be there, but Apple would argue it's the happiest place on earth. Yeah, but I mean, who wants to leave a garden? People may feel differently about carriers, so some interesting language being brought into the conversation there. Uh, coming up on the show, Jeff Bezos heads to space. Bitcoin takes one step closer to becoming legal tender. And somewhere, and Twitter rethinks the follow. Tech Check is just getting started. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Gut check on Etsy. Atlantic Equities initiates it this morning as overweight and with a stock. Remember, that's a compliment. Price target of $200 sees a 22% swing to the upside thanks to Etsy's unique retail digital growth story. Shares this morning up about 2%, Carl. Uh, John, don't tell Aesop, but the hair has been replaced. Mike Santoli has more on the meme trade and the race he's calling between the ape and the tortoise. You've you got a children's book in you, Mike. Uh, you know what? That's where the money is, as far as I can tell, as well. <laughs> so maybe I'll get working on that. I can't draw, but we'll see what we can make out of this. Uh, the reason that you want to contrast what the self-styled apes are doing when it comes to stocks like AMC, it's really, I, I think, kind of stolen a lot of the oxygen of the conversation around the market because the volumes, the volatility, uh, the rush back to options trading really has overtaken what's happening in the broad market, which is an extremely calm continuation of this rally pause, rally pause pattern we've had, led by cyclicals, macro data filtering right in. Uh, and what I would argue is the tortoises are completely underwriting that. These are long-term investors 
uh, putting money in a very kind of systematic way into things like index ETFs. And in fact, I think the, the bigger risk, if you really wanted to look for one, might be that the public has gotten to an all-in condition on stocks. If you look at the allocation to equities among big investors uh, and small, and you look at the uh, things like those inflows, half a trillion dollars year to date, it suggests that it's not really all about the kind of gambling story stocks. It's also about people just deciding that equities are the way right now. And that, to me, is uh, one of the explanations for why the overall market has slowed down. People have already kind of bought in ahead of this huge economic rebound. One final point is, unlike January and February, when GameStop was really the marquee name in all of this, that was happening in conjunction with a huge rush into hypergrowth tech, into the ARC funds. That was the real blow-off into February of all of those strategies, the SaaS stocks, the cloud stocks. This now is not happening in that environment. This is extremely idiosyncratic. There's really no big picture, you know, transformation or innovation story attached really to AMC. It's much more kind of out of left field, and I think it's, it, it can coexist with the core of the market uh, being relatively calm. Right, and that's what makes it so fascinating this time around. Uh, Mike, thank you very much for that, the eighth and the tortoise. And that is where we will start with our next guest, who is arguing that the move isn't about memes, it's about decentralization. David Friedberg, tech investor and production board CEO, joins us now to discuss. David, thanks for joining us, and good morning. You joke that every public company board is forming a meme committee, uh, but, you know, should companies, should CEOs be looking to tap into the rise of the retail investor and the themes that we've seen with AMC and GameStop? Yeah, I mean, I think the AMC and GameStop um, activity looks a lot like Bitcoin and, you know, even Tesla, one could argue, that there's a retail audience, that there's a group that has uh, both inspiration and entertainment value ascribed to these assets. They bid them up. And as a result, those assets can actually fund the vision. They can fund the dream. And, you know, we saw that with Bitcoin. It got bid up to the point that everyone had to own it. We saw it with Tesla, where they got bid up to the point that they could raise debt and equity and actually fund that vision and fund that dream. Um, and, you know, I would say that AMC and GameStop, they're, they're part inspiration, they're part entertainment. And as a result, they get tremendous investor interest from a retail group that gives those, those organizations the ability to actually execute now. Um, and so I think that boards are all looking, you know, internally now and saying, hey, let's form a meme committee. It's kind of the joke. But the reality is what you're really doing is creating a branding program around how do you brand to a retail investor audience? So, you know, we all all these companies know how to brand to their customer and they know how to brand historically to institutional investors. You know, here's the numbers. Here's the sense. But branding to a retail investor audience is quite different. It's about telling that story about what's the inspiration, what's the vision for the future and what's the entertainment value? Why do you want to get on board with us? And so I think we're increasingly seeing boards having this discussion, particularly public boards, saying, how is the retail audience going to find this stock, this company appealing, and how do we tell that story better? And, um, you know, the SPAC market is kind of one of the first big waves we've seen where an effort has been made um, holistically to try and address that audience, but it's really just the beginning. Right, David, so much, though, is still unknown about, this, unknown about this cohort of investors and whether, you know, CEOs and companies can actually tap into this trend. Does it risk becoming a distraction or do you have the risk of companies trying to do this, raising capital, maybe doing dumb things with it? Is this sort of a net good or a net uh, challenging or questionable trend? 
Well, um, you know, one could argue that venture capitalists don't do anything different than retail investors making speculative investments. You know, when you're an early stage venture capital investor, you're making a bet on the future. You're saying, here's what I think the future could look like. Let me hear the entrepreneur or the management team tell me the story about the future. You're not looking at yesteryear's financials and saying, hey, here's what the business is worth. And you're putting money in to give that management team the opportunity to kind of take that story forward and make it real. And so I would argue this maybe isn't very different, but it is speculative, right? And so if you're an established, mature business that, uh, you know, that, that, that is kind of stable and doesn't really have that visionary, speculative kind of uh, position on how you can change the world and how you're going to create entertainment for the world, uh, maybe it's not the right fit for you. But for a lot of emerging growth companies that maybe are wrestling between doing a late-stage financing or doing a SPAC, this starts to become a really interesting way to find an investor audience, to find a shareholder base uh, that maybe can come along for the ride with you and wants to participate and wants to see your vision become a reality. And so one could argue this becomes a little bit of the democratization of speculative investing, which historically has been the mainstay of purely venture capital investors who have had a bit of a monopoly on this market opportunity. That's interesting. I mean, David, I, listening to you, and I know you didn't intend to say this, but one might read it as saying that, that uh, the meme audience or maybe some subset of the retail audience doesn't care about the dollars and cents. That's clearly not true. So I wonder at what point do they demonstrate, you know what, um, we listened to your idea, it's clearly not working out, and we're out. Yeah, they, they might. I, I would argue that the meme audience or the retail audience is a little bit more of a collective amygdala, whereas the institutional investor is a little bit more of a collective prefrontal cortex. And so what I mean by that is the, you know, the retail investor maybe makes decisions a little bit more with emotion as, as an aggregate, whereas the institutional investors are looking at those numbers and those cents. Now, we saw this with Tesla for years. Analysts and institutional investors were shorting the stock and pounding them and saying, this isn't a real business. This isn't worth anything. But the, the investors that showed up and said, you know what, we believe, they bid the stock up, they were able to raise debt and equity, and they were able to realize a vision, and now they have a, you know, a, a reasonably kind of scalable and, and you know, profitable business, it looks like. So um, you know, that may not always be the case. But remember, in, in the venture investing world, not all bets win. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we will see the same sort of speculative investment portfolio return profile that perhaps we see in early stage venture. Maybe one out of 10 companies goes 10 or 20 or 40x. Maybe three out of 10 have a, have a good, you know, double or triple. And maybe a bunch of them won't work out and they'll die. You know, but, David, you know, perhaps as a retail investor, my strategy should be to make sure I get a portfolio of bets, not just put all my money into one bet. David, I would argue that Apple is an interesting case in this situation because, you know, old Apple a couple decades ago was young and had to form communities that it was marketing itself to. And one of those communities was the consumer. Another was creatives. Uh, and, and there were educators, you know, all these little mini markets that they had. to. And then over time, as Apple grew, they had to figure out how to talk to investors more broadly, how to talk to, you know, more developers than they had in the past. Aren't these companies, if they really are, want this trend to stick, going to have to invest in figuring out how to truly market to those niches and not just market to them with platitudes and overall messages when the stock is going up, but with product and with you know, deep services, even when the stock is not? I think that's right. But again, like this is about um, the same branding exercise that they might undertake, as you kind of described, to a customer audience. They now need to undertake to an investor audience. And that branding exercise requires typically that you actually deliver on the goods at some point. 
you can't just be given visionary platitudes for a decade or more. Look, some people can get away with it. Elon, you know, for a long time was telling stories that he wasn't able to deliver on, but people kept with the story. But at the end of the day, if that story starts to kind of become manifest, I think folks are going to value those businesses as well, and they're going to continue to stick with them. But you're, you're, you're exactly right. That, that branding and that, that kind of delivery needs to kind of come hand in hand over time. Uh, but I do think that this audience that wants to be inspired, that wants to be entertained, are going to have you know, um, uh, you know, a lot of interest in continuing to follow these sorts of opportunities. Yep, certainly. David, thank you very much for being with us today. David Friedberg, we hope to have you back again soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, great discussion. El Salvador moves to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. That's coming up next. Plus, the CEO of MongoDB after Friday's double-digit pop. It is a packed hour of tech check that continues after this break. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So Brainstorm got too big. Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Resetting here at the bottom of the hour. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford, Deirdre Bosa, and Julia Borston. Uh, Dow's down 100 after an up open. We're going to follow uh, Julia's lead on Twitter's next potential subscription offer. That's coming up next. But first, let's get a news update with Rahel Solomon. Hey, Rahel. Hi, Carl. Good morning. Here's what's happening at this hour. Let's start with several Blackstone funds buying QTS Realty. The deal is worth about $10 billion, including debt. QTS shares are up about 21% on the news. QTS is a real estate investment trust that owns and operates data centers. U.S. concrete soaring about 30 percent. That's after Vulcan Materials announced that it will buy the company for $1.3 billion. The deal expands Vulcan's operations in metropolitan areas in California, Texas, and the Northeast. Turning to oil prices, U.S. benchmark crude oil prices topping $70 earlier this morning and also hitting their highest level since 2018. Brent crude is at a two-year high driven by rising demand and also OPEC sticking to supply curbs. And Norwegian Cruise Lines, one of the best performers in the S&P 500 today after announcing more cruise restarts, including new voyages from Miami in August and New York in September. Other Cruise Line stocks are also up today. You are now up to date. John, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thank you. Meantime, Twitter's SuperFollow subscriptions could launch soon. Our Julia Borston uh, is following that. And Julia, the cadence of Twitter's product rollout certainly has picked up. But I don't know. I got to think the question is, are they actually going to bring in the revenue? That's what investors are going to want to see, right? John, you're always skeptical. I I, I love that we we can disagree on this. I do think it is really worth noting that the cadence of product launches is, as promised by Jack Dorsey, really accelerating. Twitter started experimenting with tip jars. Now, notice that this is the first time that people are really ever paying someone on Twitter. So they have the tip jars. They just last week unveiled Twitter Blue. So that's going to be the way that you're going to get extra features. But now Twitter is sort of getting into the Patreon space, the Substack space. And with this new service, um, you will need to have posted about 
at least 25 tweets in the past 30 days. You need to be at least 18 years old and have at least 10,000 followers. But they want people who have a, a reasonable follower count. You don't have to be um, someone with millions of followers, any of those people to be able to make money on the platform. And Don, what I think is so interesting here um, as we await the official details from the company is this idea that they're going after a different kind of creator economy than, say, an Instagram, Snap, TikTok those three companies are going after many of the same creators. Twitter is really has a very different audience and is going to try to get a very different group of people to subscribe. Yeah, I, I got gotcha. you. I mean, looking for revenue streams beyond advertising, all the rage right now, and some might say, hey, it's about time Twitter got in on this. I just think a couple quarters down the line, I mean, when Omid Kordestani, who's the money man at Google, is, is your executive chairman and Jack Dorsey's been, they're going to want to see the dollars actually flowing in. I mean, aren't, aren't they? They will. And I think these next two quarters are going to be absolutely critical. We'll see how soon they can get this product out the door. But back in February, when Jack Dorsey talked about this idea of having a super follower system, they talked about the, the price point maybe being a $5 per month. The question is, mm. what is the addressable market? How many people are going to actually want to pay Twitter? And then once people get used to giving their credit card to Twitter, what are the different things that they might do on that platform? Yeah. Can Twitter generate meaningful revenue from, say, commerce, which is another thing that Dorsey has said he's interested in? That credit card on file is a big deal, as Apple certainly has shown us over the years. And speaking of, one of the things that we might hear Apple talk about today is TV OS. Apple TV used to be a really big deal in the over-the-top landscape. I mean, I would argue five, ten years ago, I mean, everybody in entertainment had to pay attention to the latest thing there. But now it seems to me that other platforms, Roku, certainly the direct platforms from the streamers, like, of course, Netflix and Disney Plus now, they've taken some of the thunder away from Apple. Does anybody care about TVOS? Well, look, here's what I would say. You're, you're right in that I believe that this access to apps on your TV, that business that Apple was so crucial, ha had sort of crucially access to, that has been commoditized. Now you can get a new TV, you can get access to apps on that. Roku's business has exploded, particularly over the past year. So I think what's going to be really interesting here as we hear from Apple today is how they put combine the TV operating system with the home. Are they going to try to make the device that you connect to your TV something that you use to FaceTime with your family? Are they going to have a camera attached to it? How are they going to connect that with the home commands and make it more competitive with, say, an Alexa? And is this really going to be the new frontier in the competition for the home? Before, John, we used to talk about the competition for your living room. Now it's all so interconnected. Are you going to have to decide if you're an Amazon family, an Amazon home, you know, an Amazon Alexa home or an <laughs> Apple home? And is, is this going to be the next frontier of that battle? Yeah. Which one do you want listening in on you? That's that's the question. Julia Borston. Thank you. Who do you trust more with your well, all your privacy issues? Exactly. <laughs> Meantime, guys, watch Lordstown this morning. If that space wasn't already volatile enough, Lordstown receiving a delinquency notice from the NASDAQ for not filing its quarterly report. Regardless, that stock is up more than 8.5%, plus the end of the Tesla Model S plaid. Another Elon Musk announcement will not make it to the finish line. That is on CNBC.com. A lot more tech check straight ahead. Stay with us.
was from Miami's Bitcoin 2021, the biggest event for the cryptocurrency in history. Among the big name speakers of the conference, of course, Twitter and Square founder and CEO Jack Dorsey, who said there's nothing more important in his lifetime than working on Bitcoin. Whatever I can do, whatever my companies can do to make it accessible to everyone is, uh, is how I'm going to spend the rest of my life. Like if, if I were not at Square or Twitter, I'd be working on Bitcoin. Um, if it needed more help than Square and Twitter, I would leave them for Bitcoin. And as Elon Musk tweeted, Bitcoin is one hell of a drug. Now it's being considered as legal tender in El Salvador. Uh, CNBC.com's Mackenzie Sigalos joined us from the Bitcoin conference on Friday and is with us now on What's Next. Uh, Mackenzie, the pictures both on television and in Miami newspapers over the weekend, I mean, the vibe just it looked out of control. Oh, completely. Um, so it was predicted that 50,000 people were descending on the city. What we know for sure is that there were 12,000 ticketed attendees and the vibe was electric. Uh, you bumped in on that sound from Elon Musk. And while he wasn't physically in Miami, his presence was definitely felt. Right at the start of the conference, the price of Bitcoin dropped following a tweet by the Tesla CEO, which again appeared to take aim at the crypto at the cryptocurrency. But conference attendees didn't really put much weight in his comments. And, and Bitcoin lingo, they call it FUD, an acronym that stands for fear, uncertainty and doubt. And it's a strategy to influence perception of the cryptocurrency market in general by spreading negative, misleading or false information. Uh, I spoke with NFL player and Bitcoin fan Russell Okung, who launched a billboard campaign Friday with the tagline Stick to Space Elon. He said that, you know, Bitcoin has no marketing campaign uh, to push back against false information, no PR department. And he said that these billboards were designed to correct false public narratives around Bitcoin's energy use and to encourage Musk to stick to what he does best. <laughs> That's interesting, Mackenzie. It wasn't, uh, you know, it was also other athletes were there, including Floyd Mayweather. I heard that he was booed on stage when he suggested that there might be another cryptocurrency that beca could become bigger than Bitcoin. Uh, so I wonder how much were other cryptocurrencies, other technologies discussed at the conference, or was this really just an echo chamber for Bitcoin? Yeah, the thing to know about this event is, is that it was very much Bitcoin specific. Uh, the So a lot of the, the conference attendees were dominated by something called Bitcoin maxis or Bitcoin maximalists. And what that means is that they think that Bitcoin and not necessarily other cryptos is the future of finance. And so, yes, people were talking about NFTs. They were talking about uh, Ether, which is, a you know, the second biggest cryptocurrency after Bitcoin. But really, I was surrounded by people talking about how Bitcoin is the future and Bitcoin is going to completely revolutionize the monetary system. You know, a, a common refrain from some of the biggest names on stage was that Bitcoin, quote, fixes everything. <laughs> right. OK, so a lot of evangelists. Uh, Mackenzie, thank you. I look forward to seeing maybe a crypto conference in the future, broadening it out a little bit. Meantime, guys, uh, meme stocks volatile again this morning. Today to the upside with BlackBerry so far, the most mentioned on Reddit. We'll watch those shares. They are up more than 12 percent today. Meantime, the CEO of MongoDB is next following that double digit pop and strong earnings on Friday. Tech Check is back in just two minutes.
Strong quarterly results sent shares of MongoDB surging Friday with subs jumping more than 40 percent. Joining us now to break down the numbers, MongoDB CEO David Acheria. Dave, good to see you. Um, you know, investors impressed by the quarter. And I'm viewing this sort of in contrast to what Cloudera is going through. It's such a tightrope to walk when you're dealing with these mega scale cloud providers and trying to be best of breed in there. Talk to me about how you're managing that tightrope and managing to turn in results like this in the process. John, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, what I'll tell you is the difference between MongoDB and Cloudera is that Cloudera and the Hadoop technology was really built for a different era. Uh, MongoDB is built for the cloud era. And to give you some sense of that, we are the most popular modern general purpose data platform in the market. We have over 20, almost 27,000 customers. We have, uh, we're, we're growing really quickly. Our software has been downloaded 175 million times, 70 million um, just in the last year. So we have broad-based adoption in almost every corner of the planet. And customers from starting edge, um, sorry, cutting edge startups to the largest companies in the world are using MongoDB today. Yeah, I noticed that your Atlas product uh, in particular has some interesting momentum, the, the attach rate, the uptake there. Also, you said you ended the quarter with 1,057 customers who had uh, annualized recurring revenue of at least $100,000, and that was up 36% year over year. How does that position you strategically, and does it require, because that's sort of your, your secret sauce, that you spend more on sales to keep that momentum going? Well, I'll say a couple of things. One, Atlas is one of the fastest growing cloud products of scale in the world today. It's growing, as you said, it's, no, it's nearly a $400 million revenue business growing at 73% year over year. When it comes to the six-figure customers, what it also says is that large, sophisticated customers are deploying mission-critical workloads on Atlas. So I think this is something that Wall Street didn't completely appreciate is that we have some very, very demanding workloads running on, on Atlas. And so we can see it serve the needs of the most sophisticated customers around the world. And when it comes to sales and marketing, uh, John, when you have 1% share, you want to invest for growth. We have more than enough cash in the balance sheet. We have close to a billion dollars of cash in the balance sheet. We're investing for growth. And those investments are high ROI investments. Our unit economics are great. And we're scaling the business well. Dev, could you be investing more? You said on the call last week that you're not constrained by market. Rather, it's about your operational capability and how quickly you can scale the business. Your shares are up some 60% over the last year or so. Are you thinking about raising more capital, especially in light of other companies doing so? Yeah, so we've been, uh, we've been very happy with how fast we've been growing. I, there are some operational limits in terms of how fast you can grow. You just can't hire a 1,000 salespeople overnight and expect to you know, uh, scale them, ramp them, and get them productive quickly. So we're trying to grow in a responsible manner. When it comes to cash, we have, as I said, close to a billion dollars of cash in the balance sheet. So we don't need any cash right now. Uh, and, and we were, frankly, cash flow positive last quarter. So we're running the business quite efficiently. Um, we, can, we do expect to burn cash over the year, but moderately, because we believe that uh, um, you know, we're running the business efficiently, and, but there's a big market and we're investing for growth. Yeah, and, and we see that growth in these numbers. David Acheria, CEO of MongoDB, thanks for being with us. Thanks, John. Nice to be here. In the meantime, John, you can forget about meme stocks. Jeff Bezos is going to the moon. That's coming up next, plus the next big technology frontier and how to play it only on CNBC.com slash pro. 
We are back in a moment. Get a gut check on Peloton. Loop Capital calls it a buy this morning. Price target of 140, upside of 30 percent, calling the financial impact of those treadmill recalls overstated. Sees an attractive entry point at the current level. Peloton shares, of course, though, are down 40 percent from the January highs, deep. Meanwhile, Carl Jeff Bezos, he is headed to space in mid-July, just after he steps down as CEO of Amazon. And Morgan Brennan joins us now with what that means. And Morgan, I look at Amazon shares, they're down just a bit, four-tenths of one percent. But what does this mean for the space complex, the billionaire race to get there? Yeah, that's right, Deirdre. I mean, it's like literal rocket ship emojis where Jeff Bezos is concerned with this news today. So Bezos announcing that next month, July 20th, that is the 52nd anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing, those first human steps on the moon. That is the day that Blue Origin is targeting this first crewed space flight past the edge of space that Bezos now says, as of this morning, he's going to be on. He's going to be joined by his brother, Mark, also by the winning bidder of an online auction that's been underway on Blue Origin's website since last month, and that culminates in a day of uh, final bidding this upcoming Saturday. The current highest offer on the website is $2.8 million, nearly 6,000 participants, 143 countries. Um, but we're going to see where that number lands this weekend for that first trip alongside Bezos to space. And, of course, it comes, when we're talking about July 20th, Deirdre, it's coming 16 days after Bezos's final day as CEO at Amazon before he hands those reins over to Andy Jassy to focus on other endeavors, including, as we know, Blue Origin. Now, Morgan, my question is, does this mean that Jeff Bezos is going to physically beat Elon Musk to space and what do you think Elon's going to tweet to say that it's not really legitimate and the real thing is what he's going to do? Oh, well, he's definitely beating Elon Musk to space, at least based on what we know publicly. Um, Musk's SpaceX is going to be doing its own space tourism flight, that first all-civilian flight that's targeting uh, at the earliest September of this year, inspiration for that Musk will not be on board. And I think if Musk were going to respond in some form or fashion, it would be the fact that his company, his rocket, his capsule go to orbit, whereas Blue Origin um, is considered New Shepard system is considered a suborbital um, system, even though you do actually go above that Kármán line and you do actually get astronaut wings. And Bezos, if it all goes according to plan and everybody else on that flight, will be recognized not only domestically but internationally as astronauts. I think that maybe the, perhaps the biggest question uh, is what this does in the Sir Richard Branson versus Jeff Bezos suborbital space tourism race right now, given the fact that it looks like Bezos will actually probably potentially make it to space before Branson at Virgin Galactic. Nonetheless, you are seeing shares of Virgin Galactic trade higher on this news today. Yes, I knew that you would give us a nuanced answer. Morgan Brennan, thank you. <laughs> now we're just about an hour out from WWDC, the latest after one more quick break. Stay with us. One more thing. It is, of course, the start of Apple's WWDC, and Josh Lipton has one more look. And Julia Borston has some interestingly timed news from Facebook. Josh, we start with you. 
So, Deidre, this year the developers conference does feel different because it's happening just as Apple finds itself publicly feuding with some well-known developers like Fortnite maker Epic Games, of course, but Spotify and Match, they've also weighed in with their criticism. This fight comes down to money, the commission Apple takes on revenue generated through its app store. Now, Apple says it has defended those policies, saying its take rate is in line with other digital marketplaces. Apple generated nearly $22 billion from App Store commissions in 2020 alone, according to Sensor Tower. Today, we do expect Tim Cook to introduce his latest operating systems, and that would include iOS 15, which is expected to deliver new notifications and privacy protections, as well as new messaging features where Apple competes against Facebook's WhatsApp. Back to you all. Yeah, and Josh, uh, just in time to make news before that Apple event, Facebook's making some news of its own and a bit of a stab at Apple, right, Julia? That's right. Well, Mark Zuckerberg just took aim at Apple's app store fees. He just posted on Facebook, quote, to help more creators make a living on our platforms, we're going to keep paid online events, fan subscriptions, badges, and our upcoming independent news products free for creators until 2023. He went on to say that when they do introduce a revenue share, it will be less than the 30% that Apple and others take. Zuckerberg also posting that they're launching a new interface so creators can see how different companies' fees and taxes impact their earnings. We expect to learn more about that in an event Facebook and Instagram are hosting for their creators. That's happening tomorrow. Guys, back over to you. Wow, that is, uh, that is an interesting wrinkle, uh, Julia. John, it kind of takes you back to that interview that Cook gave to Kara Swisher not too long ago uh, in which he appeared to discount Facebook as a competitor in general. Uh, with this announcement, things got a little more spicy. It, it, they do, but, D, I wonder if this undercuts Facebook's argument in a way because, hey, they're competing on price with Apple. If Apple were a monopoly, they couldn't do that. <laughs> That's right. That's a very good point, John. Also, I mean, they're saying that they're not going to take that 30% cut. I wonder, built into that, we've been talking about this idea of a walled garden. Does anyone think that Facebook has sort of the same kind of ecosystem that Apple does? I'm not sure. But this back and forth, Carl, is certainly uh, interesting between these two tech giants. And I wonder what Cook will say in response. He hasn't been known to hold back. Nothing. Yeah, I mean, and imagine what the developer community is thinking right now. Uh, all of these riches coming their way uh, as they are suddenly being courted by multiple parties. Fascinating. Uh, it's great to be back here at their exchange. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.